Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub of the Manaqua Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Manaqua is Kirk Bangstead of the Manaqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. You have made it up north. Nice to have you here for the Up North podcast. Uh, I'm Pat Kreitlow, and uh, you know who that young man is over there if you're uh, getting our video feed. <laughs> Hello, Kirk. Hi, how you doing, Pat? I'm Kirk. Man, I haven't seen you for a long time. How was your I summer, know. man? We've still only been in a room like three times ever since this whole thing started because of the uh, pandemic. And again, if you're if you're uh, joining us through the uh, Up North podcast uh, website and watching this, you'll know that's not Sarah Yacoub, uh, who's on your radio. It's uh, Kristen Lyerly from Green Bay, physician who's going to be talking to us and play our guest host this week. And uh, Sarah will join us again next week, Kristen. We're really glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. Hey, Kirk, how was uh, how was your 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 summer otherwise? What what kinds of things did you find yourself doing? And so after almost losing my restaurant, starting the super pack, running for office, doing this show every week, um, I was getting a little burned out in July. So I um I did what I needed to do before COVID started, and I went to uh, France and Switzerland. And I, uh, I did what I had promised my late wife I was going to do, and I spread her ashes in some of her most favorite places. And it was a very, uh, very great time for me to kind of remember all the crazy things that have happened in the last few years. So uh, it was a great trip. I detached entirely, and um, I'm, so, I'm so happy to be home and really refreshed. Well, that's great. And, uh, uh, you know, I live on Lake Wissota, so summer is always perfect there. Uh, just enough time on the pontoon, just enough time at some favorite watering holes that you can boat to, like the Edge and the Mallard Resort. Got down to Milwaukee for a Brewers game. We got visits from the kids and the grandkids and the friends who got vaccinated. The other ones, they're they're, they're kind of on shun, you know, for, for now. But um, normally we will start off these shows with some, you know, headlines that folks up north have been following. Uh, but we're really going to focus in this first show on, on a couple of things uh, related to healthcare because we have our friend, Dr. Kristen Lyerly, uh, with us here. And we're going to have plenty of time to talk to her about COVID and about reproductive health restrictions. But why wouldn't you start with the Packers? I mean, they had, they had this... <laughs> <laughs> great win in the rain so um Kristen you were at Lambeau what was that like it was fantastic well first of all beforehand I got to walk around and talk to tailgaters with a cooler full of fair maps IPA that uh Kirk had generously donated so I was randomly walking up to people who were very excited to be there and just talking with them about gerrymandering which is a whole other topic that I'm sure you'll talk about later but man, it was just the flyover was loud and the night was beautiful and the rain was warm and the Packers won. It just doesn't get better than that. You, you really don't get to do a warm rain, you know, at Lambeau. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of cold <laughs> rain, snow, other things like that. And uh, understand you got down to Summerfest as well. Yeah, it kind of ties in with our theme, which is wake me up when September ends. So my two oldest sons talked me into going to the Hella Mega Tour at Summerfest. And we had so much fun. Green Day was there. They were on fire. And the coolest thing is they were carding people. You had to show your COVID card or proof of a negative test to get in. So that made me really feel comfortable. 
Yeah, frankly, as it as it should have been from the get go uh, to to underscore the seriousness of this. But um, you know, so between the Packers, Summerfest, we can't forget the the Brewers are this close to clinching the division, hoping to match the Bucks and bringing some postseason glory to Wisconsin. However, we do have to come back to the reality that a pandemic continues to dominate life up north and all across Wisconsin. So we are going to talk more with Kristen and with Kirk about how the trusted voices of local physicians, healthcare providers, and friends are needed more than ever. We will be back to talk about that more after this. You're up north. <laughs> Welcome back to the Up North Podcast. I wanted to listen to every last bit of that uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, buddy. I know. I'm Kirk Dad. This is Pat Kreitlow. This is then we have to pay more for for usage rights here. So you know, we 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 just talk up the ramp. That's it. Um, <laughs> hey, if you're new to the show, here's some of the fine print before we get back to our guest host, uh, Dr. Kristen Lyerly. We are not just a weekly podcast. We are a live radio show. Thanks to the nice folks at News Talk 92.7 in Madison who give us a broadcast home every Wednesday evening at 7. You can use their Devil Radio app to catch our show or any of the fine programs here on the home of Devil's Advocates Radio. From a podcast perspective, you can catch us on our website, upnorthpodcast.com. We try to post by about Friday morning for your weekend uh, listening uh, enjoyment. And as a reminder, the show is also not affiliated with Up North News, which is the state-based news site that I helped start for Courier Newsroom. But I'm happy to urge you all to check it out online. Just search for Up North News WI. Don't forget the WI. And Kirk will talk more about the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack a little later in the show and throughout the season. And Kirk, I didn't get, forgot to wish you at the very beginning, thanks to a proclamation from Governor Evers, it's Brandy Old Fashioned Day in Wisconsin. So cheers, man. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I'm drinking a beer and so is Kristen. And had you told me, I, I, I might have cooked myself up one. So come on, man. I needed a little bit of a forewarning. It's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to pull the load in the meantime. <laughs> all right. So now let's let's cut out the chit chat, right? We got a lot of stuff to talk about here. So we got Dr. Kristen Lyerly and and uh, we got to talk about COVID. So, Kristen, it doesn't help matters that state Republicans first created this toxic work environment in terms of not cooperating or not meeting for the last, uh, you know, uh, whole year when COVID was running rampant in Wisconsin. But now they're actually creating a toxic work environment for themselves. That uh, that Senator Representative Jock got COVID. Before that, he was running around maskless uh, around his colleagues. And then later needed to be on a ventilator with COVID. Now you have Ron Johnson promoting a horse dewormer instead right. of what actually works. Now you have Rebecca Cleefish running for governor because she and she got COVID while she was running around at maskless events. That one was and maskless she's a, too? It sounds familiar. There's a trend here. <laughs> it's like they can't wear it politically. And then finally, I mean, we can keep on going, but we've got all these local school board members, some of some of whom are about as wholesome as it gets that are being overrun that are being recalled by by people who seemingly need a vaccine from fox news uh so kristen you're you're a doctor your day i can't imagine uh throughout covid your, your days have been full of frustrations can you just kind of give us your thoughts of, of what's happening right now uh, what's frustrating you disappointing you etc where do you even start? I mean, here in the Green Bay area, of course, Senator Jacques 
just left the hospital, but he did not go home. His staffers initially said that he was going home. He's in a long-term acute care facility. This is widely known. I, my guess is that he's still receiving assistance with breathing. He is not in good shape and it is gonna take him a very long time to recover. I mean, why are they covering this up? Why did they cover it up initially when he was diagnosed? Why was he even speaking in this area where other people were exposed? And then he didn't tell them when he had a positive diagnosis. And in there for hours in those meeting rooms in the Capitol with immunocompromised people in there. And those folks had to find out he'd been hospitalized from news reports rather than hearing... Yeah from the leaders of the legislature. It's it's unconscionable, Kristen, but you know, as Kirk was pointing out, um, these are things you see every day. I mean, don't get me wrong, you see plenty of folks who are taking this seriously, but I'm pretty sure you see, you know, a, a fair share of patients who kind of give you that, you know, cocked eyebrow and go, you know, is this really all that? And you you have to set them straight, don't you? Yeah, but I think that when you are a trusted voice, in their community, whether you are a friend or a healthcare provider, or just someone who can have a good conversation with someone that is reasonable. Like, here's an example. I went to the farmer's market here in Green Bay, and there was an anti-vaxxer standing on the corner who ended up getting arrested because he was making people so upset. So I walked over to the vaccine bus to give the nurse who was doing vaccinations a little pep talk. She was so busy that she didn't even know what was happening. But there was a man inside who was headed to Canada to go fishing and he needed to get a vaccine to go. So that was his in. And his wife was outside unvaccinated. And she and I started a conversation about why she was reluctant to get the vaccine. And we stood there for probably 10 minutes. And it was a very respectful conversation where she shared some of her concerns and she shared some of her hesitations and recognized that a lot of it didn't make a lot of sense, but there was just something that didn't feel right. And when her husband came off the bus, they left, we thanked each other. And 10 minutes later, she came back and got her vaccine. And I think it's because we just had this, we listened to each other and I wasn't yelling at her and she was asking good questions. I hear this from pediatricians. There's a Spanish speaking pediatrician here in Green Bay who finds these reluctant adults, parents and children and is able to communicate with them culturally appropriate in a trusted environment. And she said nine times out of 10, they get the vaccine right then and there. So it really does come down to trust. I mean, we really would like to think that everybody, I mean, I was certainly part of that group that raced to get this as soon as it was available. A lot of other people did. It was certainly unrealistic to expect that, you know, everybody would, but mm -hmm. it, it is worth noting that as frustrated as we get with some people who I'm about to refer to, there are still people that, like you said, just need that that one more conversation, uh, just want to address a concern or what have you. Those folks can still, we can still deal with that. It's the ones who, uh, I know you've heard this one, I'm going to do my own research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Really? My best really? friend. Yeah. My best friend is that way. She called me and said, well, you know, I have these health concerns and my chiropractor told me that I can't get the vaccine. So can you tell me about these two medications that I should take? She didn't know the names of the medications, but she wanted me to hook her up with that information. And, you know, I've known her since we were 10. So I thought that I could reach her, but she is a very confident person who feels very special about her health conditions. 
So there's no way, you know, she's going to stick with what she thinks is right. I don't know if she's taking ivermectin. We decided not to talk about it. And that's kind of where we left it. We're never going to be able to convince everybody. But I think if you can have that gentle conversation, that evidence-based conversation with someone that you trust, I, I think that there's room for negotiation there. Well, it doesn't help, however, though, that, you know, if they're listening to the wrong news, they're hearing skepticism by uh, people that they think are anchors, news anchors. They think that they're somehow official uh, on Fox News. And, and that's what I can never really hold these vaccine hesitant people really at fault. I, I hold media at fault uh, and I hold uh, half of our political system at fault for putting fear into these people who don't know that, don't know any better, you know, and, and, yeah. and telling them to read quack doctors as opposed to listen to their own, uh, you know, their own doctor at home. Yeah, yeah because you're totally right. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's not enough that you've got people coming in looking through, you know, the internet on their own, but now to have, you know, cable, you know, quote unquote, news channels, uh, giving them information, uh, again, it, it just makes your job and, and all of your other colleagues' jobs uh, so much more challenging. It does. And I have numerous stories from my friends who work in emergency medicine of people who come in with symptoms, are subsequently diagnosed with COVID, and then say to the doctor, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who I could trust, but, but now I know that I should get the vaccine and I'm ready for it. And my friends, <laughs> you know, they're, they're tired of saying to people, it's too late. Mm -hmm. These people are literally dying mm -hmm. because they got these mixed messages from politicians who, these politicians know that they are spreading this information. Mm -hmm. This is not a mistake. They know they're doing this. And it's just a travesty. It's it's a crime in our communities. And what's what's really crazy is that they they know, uh, especially at say the local radio level, they take their cues from the folks at Fox News and others who have been vaccinated because Fox mm -hmm. News basically has an employer mandate, not exactly, but you know a practical mandate there that everybody there has been vaccinated, and yet the the folks dying are like the local right wing radio hosts and younger people and more children all the time. And it is just so heartbreaking. And it affects you in day-to-day in -day lives, especially as hospitals up north continue to fill as they're uh, mm -hmm. dwindled down to almost no ICU beds available. And, you know, Kristen, as an OBGYN, you've got, um, you know, you, you do elective surgeries from time to time. And I don't know, I, I would imagine last year you had to pause those for a time and have concerns about pausing them again. Actually, I just got the email today that in Nina, they're pausing surgeries. Mm -hmm. um, also, the emergency department at Prevea here in Green Bay was closed uh, yesterday, I believe. Hey, I, we can't handle this kind of volume again. But last year when this happened, we were all up in arms and very worried about it. And now it's not even in the news. Mm -mm. Kristen, um, so the next segment we're going to have is going to we're going to talk to a school board uh, member who has kind of been ridden out on the rails before supporting masks. Um, I want to kind of set the stage, though, like what's going on in schools right now? So the Delta variants here, um, some kids can't get vaccinated. They're too young. Like 
why are schools kind of vectors right now and what really what, i mean what has to happen even though it's not might not be happening around wisconsin but in schools what should be happening right now um you know to make sure that this like the delta variant doesn't spread further well, the good news is that we have data now that the vaccine is effective and safe in younger children. So as soon as that goes through the process with the ACIP, we should start to be able to get younger kids vaccinated and that will be a game changer. But our school board leaders need to understand that this is not a personal health issue. This is a public health issue. And as school board leaders, they are responsible for the entire community, not just themselves. I went to one of our school board leaders here in the De Pere area or went to one of the meetings and a leader compared the choices that his wife was given for her cancer treatment to our choice to be able to wear a mask or not. And I just couldn't even believe that he was saying that because yes, I am the first person to defend your ability to make informed evidence-based decisions. And I will support you because only you live in that community of you. But when it comes to public health, we all have to do what the best thing is for the greater good. There are people who can't get vaccinated. There are people who are vulnerable. There are people who are at risk. And those of us who can stand up and help out must. So that's what school board, board leaders need to understand. Masks aren't perfect, but we have to do everything that we can to protect each other and keep each other safe. So until these kids can get vaccinated, they need to be wearing masks because they can, even though it might not kill them, they can catch COVID and then give it to somebody that it might kill, like their grandparents or a, a break, a, you know, somebody who is immunocompromised who can't get the vaccine. Um, yes, what, yes. Yeah. But but wait, a 13 year old died in Fort Atkinson. What last week? Mm -hmm. I mean, kids are dying of this and they're not just dying for every person who dies of COVID, a hundred other people suffer, whether it's long-term respiratory issues or long-term brain fog is what we're seeing in a lot of young people. Think of this like polio. I know that we're all way too young to remember polio, but back in the day when polio happened, a lot of people died, but a lot of other people were affected and they still live here among us suffering from a virus that they had when they were kids that's going to happen with COVID because we are not being careful and protecting our most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're people are not just selfish in the moment, but not thinking about those long-term ramifications for those who catch it and don't die. And that that's one of the things that especially frustrates me is people going, well, the chances of death are, are so small, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's not just about dying. It's about all the other impacts that come from it and the residual impacts like surgeries that don't happen, heart attack patients that die because there's not space in an ER or what have you. We'll get back to the school board end of things and the, the K-12 end of things in a minute, but in the two minutes we've got left, I want to take it up one notch to higher education. Kirk, did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams as a former Democratic candidate that Tommy Thompson would be the, the moderate <laughs> voice of sanity amongst Republicans standing up to the current Republican legislators who want to force the UW system to basically abandon COVID safeguards. Whoever thought. Right? I mean, well, it makes perfect sense because Tommy Thompson is not part of this new nihilistic 
Republican Trump cult. Like he's an old guard guy that just cared about like, you know, not spending too much money of tax dollars. He was a Republican that I understood. I don't understand this Republican party and he is too old to have to care about trying to get elected again. So he is what the Republican party used to be. The Republican party left him. He didn't leave the Republican party. Yeah, I, I always Can I said say that. something really yeah, quick. Yeah, Tommy, Tommy Thompson loves Wisconsin too. So to him, Wisconsin, I, I hate to use the word Trumps, but Wisconsin trumps everything else with his decision making. So I love him in this role because I think he feels very, uh, very close to the UW system. Well, because he remembers that time when, you know, going into politics was not just about politics. It was actually about public service, which involves public health, which involves public education, public transportation, all the public things we should be supporting that are now under attack more than ever. And uh, again, thank goodness for, for Governor Thompson for that. Well, after the break, Patty Forsberg joins us. She was a member of the Somerset School Board, was because she and another member resigned rather than put the district through an expensive recall election, run up by folks afraid to wear a mask and get a vaccine to stop kids from dying. More in a bit. You're up north. Welcome back to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstad. I'm Pat Kreitlow, and we're still working on our musical cues, but we'll we'll get we'll get we'll get Kirk there. <laughs> it's it's been we were on vacation, Pat. I mean, I, I don't I don't know this radio stuff. And I Come totally on. forgot to take you to DJ school uh, for a time. Uh, <laughs> and our guest host this week, Dr. Kristen Lyerly, former legislative candidate from Green Bay and OBGYN. And we'll talk to her more uh, later in the show about whether women in Wisconsin can lose more freedom over their bodies uh, in a Texas-style law that creates bounty hunters to terrorize pregnant women. Because those are the happy things we really want to be talking about. But that's that's only, the life that we're being given right now. And these things have to be talked about, Kirk. Only in America. Only in 2013. 20s. Oh my gosh. Well, let's still let's focus though still on COVID and school boards because there's some crazy stuff happening in uh, Wisconsin right now. So, um, you know, people are bullying, threatening, and even recalling school board members who have the wait for it, the audacity to actually vote to have kids wear masks at school during uh, the COVID Delta variant to keep people from dying. So Patty Forsberg is our guest today, and she was a member of the school board in Somerset in uh, St. Croix County until this week. She and another board member resigned rather than deal with a recall election forced by people who haven't yet figured out that vaccines and face masks save lives. Patty, I'm, this is, is, this even hurts me to have to have you on the show to talk about this, but um, this is a blunt and maybe unfair question, but in 18 months ago, when the country seemed united about taking on the coronavirus together, could you have imagined that you'd have been in a situation like you were just in? Take us through when things in Somerset went from united to just nuts, like they seemingly are right now. Well, I, I really feel like in our small town, it never really got to that united point. Um, we had anti-maskers right from the beginning. We had businesses that didn't close down, bars that didn't close down when they were supposed to. Um, so we had that divisive kind of environment right from the beginning because right away people were against doing the bare minimum to, to hamper um, the spread of COVID. And then it was about March of this past year that it really started getting heated up of uh, people not wanting their kids to have to continue wearing masks through summer school. 
And the we were actually one of the only districts that was open in person all year long um, due to the mitigation efforts that our district was, was mandating. Um, so we wanted those masks to be on through the end of the school year, which was the end of summer school. And you could have your kids in outdoor programs. They wouldn't have to wear them outdoors, but any classes indoors, they had to have masks on. And that's what really put the fire under all the, we, the parents, people. It, and it certainly wasn't just Somerset. I mean, at last check, there are at least eight Wisconsin school districts that have had or will have recall elections. In other districts, there have been resignations from the school board. There was a member in Beaver Dam this week who stepped down citing safety concerns. In Tomahawk, the superintendent resigned after anti-safeguard school board members pressured him. In Kenosha this week, electors voted not to pay school board members unless they attended meetings in person or in, instead of online. And in Eau Claire this week, the school board didn't put up with anti-safety nonsense. They straight up canceled a meeting when people wouldn't wear a face mask. So hats off to the Eau Claire folks for showing, you know, how you try to mean business. Of course, you know, it'll probably lead to some kind of a recall effort. But uh, all, all this is to say, Patty, you, you and you knew this already, you are far from alone uh, across the country or even just right here in Wisconsin. And, and that, um, I'm not going to say misery loves company, but there, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done to get school boards back into the hands of folks who actually give a damn about kids' safety as well as low taxes. Right. And I think one of the really interesting parts is, you know, school boards are comprised of really a, a whole walk of life. Their representatives have everything from, you know, a stay at home mom to um, someone with a doctorate degree. You know, it's you can run on whatever platform you want and be able to sit there and represent your district. Um, the interesting part was the four people who voted to keep masks was a physician, uh, a nurse practitioner, um, someone who worked for the district attorney's office. Um, a teacher who was afraid for the welfare of teachers. And then I worked for the Minnesota Department of Health. So all of us came from this area where we took COVID seriously. And due to our experience and the stuff that we were listening to, the experts that made it, that somehow turned to us being political. And for me, it was just listening to facts and science, which I guess is really strange and hard. <laughs> what was the, uh, what were the, uh, sorry, what were the other, where were the backgrounds or where were they, the other folks who voted down mask? What, what were they, where were they coming from? Um, well, one of the board, one of them, I think he, it was more, um, it was more knowing people who were really upset and having personal relationships with a lot of the community. Two of them were that way. Um, having personal relationships with the parents that were the loudest um, and not wanting to upset them so much because they were so loud and obnoxious. Um, and then the third one actually is Sheree Link, who ran in the Senate recall race against my mother, Patty Schachner, and has different aspirations, I'm pretty sure, for political, you know, to move forward in the Republican Party. So hers, she's the one that um, we had a TikTok go viral because she compared getting a vaccination to, or the school requiring vaccination papers to Nazi Germany, oh, to which course. I laughed in her face. <laughs> and uh, and I, I made comments about how it wasn't the same. Um, so that is the person who unsurprisingly um, was in support of making masks optional or not at all. Eddie, this is terrible. So I'm with you. I believe in science and I am so sorry for what you have gone through. We've seen this. I'm on the eastern part of the state and we've seen this here in Appleton as well. It's very frustrating. 
where do you think we go from here with our school board members, with our communities and our, our students and parents so divided? How do we get out of this ugliness? Right. And it's not like people were fighting to get on school boards in the first place. I mean, I ran in 2018 on a, or 2019 unopposed. No one was going to run for the other position. And so I ran just been like, hey, I got nothing to do with my time. I'm pregnant with twins. Why not? <laughs> and, and so I ran kind of just thinking that I would be able to fill the spot for the three years until more people got interested because I truly believe in public service, especially nonpartisan public service. Um, I think there's going to be, it's going to change because this divis the divisiveness is going to continue, especially while they start bringing up things like CRT and things like that into the school boards. Um, and I think it, people are gonna have to start standing up rather than letting these people continue to have this voice and, and allow this ignorance. We gotta start standing up and say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> we need to do what's best for our community and stop this self-serving. Cause right now, I mean, I don't even feel that they really cared about the kids. It was just more their personal rights of not being able to control their kids at school, which I'm, your kid is the responsibility of the school when they're in the school. Like that's always been the case. That's why they do active shooter drills, you know, and we train them at that, but we can't do, teach kids to do the bare minimum for each other and wear masks. That somehow was too much. And it was really hard. So I don't know. I don't know. I think a lot of people are going to get burned out and a lot of good candidates are going to be gone and people aren't going to run for a little while. Yeah. I, I, you're so right. And I love your answer. Because you're right, the next thing around the corner is probably going to be CRT, but we do have to stand up and we have to run for these offices and we have to support each other and the people who do run for these offices. So that was what I was hoping you would say. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> yeah. So Patty, I know that, I mean, I, I kind of want you to stand up and fight back. Why, why did you resign? So honestly, I, the recall election was coming and I wasn't going to run again in April. So for me to, to fight the election when I already wasn't going to run for six months, I felt like I already told everyone I wasn't going to be out. I wasn't going to run again. So I felt that would have been um, hypocritical on my part to run for a race that for a position that I'm telling people I am ready to be done with. Hmm. Um, on top of that, I mean, I have six kids and I work full time and I work part time and I have another side hustle. <laughs> and I, you know, it's just, it, it didn't fit in my life anymore, which is why I wasn't gonna run again in April. So, and, and now eventually I wanna go to get my law degree and for something like that, I can't study for LSAT while having all the drama involved with running, doing school board. So. And, and drama is just not what there should be, uh, Patty, mm -hmm. here at all. So in the, in the two minutes or so that we have left, I wanna see if we can turn this into a positive, but uh, you, you, you may not agree, uh, but I know you would agree that local races, local elections, local boards, school board, city council, county board, town board are critical. We, we are certainly learning that lately. Um, can you still support or encourage a friend or a neighbor who's interested in running or would you tell them not to? No, I would tell them to. I'm trying to get, yeah, I think we need some young blood at school boards. I think we need to get more 18, 19, 20 year olds in there that just experienced the education That's right. and actually would have some experience in there and would, would provide some youth. And cause I mean, a lot of the school boards aren't parent age cause you have your kids. So you're, you don't run. It's people who either have had kids through the district and are already out or at the later end. So I think we need some younger people 
to get in there. And I really think that the youth right now is really motivated, no matter what side it is. But I also think we have to really push that this is that school boards, village boards, it's nonpartisan. And bringing your personal politics into these things do not make productive environments for public education and public services. It's true that there, there really is. If you want to be, you know, if you want the, the, the vanity and the glory, uh, there's plenty of higher offices to, to run for. But, you know, these schools, towns, villages, I mean, they, they need every little bit of public support that they can get from people willing to actually sit on these boards. And, and Patty Forsberg, I'm telling you, Som Somerset was damn lucky to have you. And um, I, I hope that that law degree uh, that you're eventually going to get turns into even uh, more public service because it's, it's valued, it's appreciated, and we're really glad you could join us on the Up North podcast this week. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Come back later and come get them. Come <laughs> go back and get them. <laughs> all right oh hey, i'm going to behind you all the way don't worry i'm going on the 28th because they're going to talk about crt so i'll be there okay nice. um nice. hey coming up next more with dr Kristen lyerly do the anti-vaxxers who are claiming my body my choice understand the irony when it comes to what texas is doing to pregnant women and their rights we'll have more in a moment you're up north and welcome back to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bangstad. I'm Pat Kreitlow. And uh, hey, our guest host, Kristen Lyerly, whose practice as an obstetrician gynecologist means she has cared for thousands of women and uh, maybe maybe a thousand or 2,000 babies at this point delivered. Um, Kristen, the U.S. Supreme Court unbelievably took up a Mississippi challenge to Roe v. Wade. Between that and the new Texas law authorizing bounty hunters to sue pregnant women, doctors, and others in, in any attempt at abortion, what should women infer from this when it comes to their own elected leaders here in Wisconsin? Could could something like this happen in Wisconsin if Tony Evers were to lose the governorship in 2022? Yes, this could absolutely happen if Governor Evers loses in 2022. He has been a firewall for us. Um, it, you know, in this year, since the beginning of the year, there has been more anti-choice legislation passed than in any other year since Roe v. Wade in 1973. So what's happening now with the Supreme Court, by the way, we have a date for when they're going to listen to the Mississippi case, it's going to be December 1st, and we should have a judgment sometime in the spring. Um, it, you know, this is, it's been growing, but when it really happens, it's, it's shocking. And the way that the Texas case happened, the bounties. Today, I think I saw something about a Texas abortion provider who says he performed an abortion mm -hmm. and a man from Illinois is suing him and a man from Arkansas. Like what is happening to our justice system? This doesn't make any sense at all. So yes, this could 100% happen in Wisconsin. Well, especially because of the way the US Supreme Court did this. They did nothing. They, they didn't rule on it. Normally, they would look at a case like this and say, it is so clearly flawed, we're going to strike it down. And by not even doing that, their silence basically gave a stamp of approval on the Texas yeah. law, something, something called the shadow docket, something that we've, we've never seen before. And it's as if the right wing has found this back door now right. to, to basically... Um, Taking the clock way back, and, and, and it's worth saying again and again and again, these measures do not stop abortions. 
they stop safe abortions. You're so right. And and not only does this affect abortion care, but this could affect anything. The way that this legislation was written and what happened with the Supreme Court, because they essentially threw their hands in the air and said, well, gosh, we don't know if we can do anything about this. We'll have to see. Well, what keeps any other state from writing similar legislation about gun control or something else on the other side? I mean, this is turning into the wild, wild west. But right now, the matter at hand is that women in Texas can't get the health care that they need. And abortion is health care. They can't get the health care that they need because they're terrified of the consequences more than they have been. Well, you look at what it could do. Uh, first off, we talk about literally the Wild West. Wisconsin would revert to an 1849 law that you know yeah. bans all access to abortion. But looking forward, um, you know, Kristen, I think you noted whether you're talking about oncology or palliative care or anything. <laughs> this isn't about just options for one type of care, is it? No. So it, the most profound effect of all of these laws is legislative interference in the exam room. And nobody wants that. Men, women, children, nobody wants politicians making medical decisions for them. So this is women's health. But oncology, I don't think you want John Mako, who hasn't graduated from college, mandating that you see a naturopath before you see an oncologist, because that's his pet project. Or Ron Johnson requiring that you do an ivermectin trial when you really need remdesivir. You know, that doesn't make sense at all. Or how about palliative care, hospice? You have a sensitive conversation with a trusted healthcare provider. You know what your options are. You decide to die with dignity. But politicians keep introducing a law that would mandate resuscitation. So you wanna die because you know you're gonna die anyway with your family surrounding you with love and comfort and music and songs. And instead you get a breathing tube and poked with needles and chest compressions and it's torture. So this is essentially a bill that was recently reintroduced by Senator Roger Roth and Representative Jim Steinecke. It was vetoed by Governor Evers in the last session and it's the Born Alive Bill, which I call the why, why the hell would you torture a vulnerable family during one of the most difficult times in their lives bill. That's a better but, title, know, that, that makes sense. <laughs> What do I know? I'm just listening to these people and having conversations about what their options are and trying to make good decisions for them. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. We need politicians to stay out of our exam rooms. So I just want to like take this either you, Chris, or Dr. Lyerly or, or Pat, like, like, let's take back up for a second, because what is happening in, in 2021? Like, I feel like the world is upside down. Like in so many different ways. Like, yes, Trump is out, but 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 we know Republican politicians, most of them don't really care about you know, about abortions, about restricting abortions. They don't care. They don't go to bed at night saying, Oh, we're killing babies. They're they're doing there's a strategy here to yeah. to win power, to gain power. Yeah. And the strategy seemingly is yeah, this abortion issue gets certain hugely religious people to vote Republican no matter what. These are wedge yes. issues. We've talked about wedge issues all the time, guns, abortion. But, but what if you win on this and you actually do restrict all abortions, does that help 
the Republican Party win seats? Like, what's really going on? What's behind the scenes when it comes to getting people sick with COVID, not wearing masks, you know, restricting Wait, abortions? Literally, literally killing off their voter base? Um, what what okay. it is, is it, it's ignoring the, the, the demographic trends that are out there. And you, you so, certainly saw it in Wisconsin in 2020, where Democratic candidates made their gains in the suburbs, in the suburbs of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. that people thought would be, you know, deep red forever. And they are not as as more suburban women and young families and young people look at this and and say, this is not for them. This is something that that helped one generation of Republicans get power. It's now helping a new generation of Republicans basically try to seize power by any means necessary, overturning an election if need be. Um, and, and it was all about using these issues that should be instead the most personal of issues, Kristen. There, there should be something that basically, um, I mean, you talked about the name of a bill. How about the Women's Health Protection Act? That seems yes. like a pretty good name for a bill that would do what it says. The Women's Health Protection Act is amazing. And our listeners can find out more about it at actforwomen.org. This is a bill that is actually sponsored. One of the lead sponsors was Senator Tammy Baldwin, who has always been in the pilot seat when it comes to health care and making sure that women have access to reproductive health care. I'm just such a huge fan of hers. So we've got this Women's Health Protection Act. It is there. It's in the Senate right now. It's got a ton of support. It's a Democrat bill. The Republicans don't like it because it would create a statutory right for healthcare providers to provide abortion care and the corresponding right for the patients to receive that care free from medically unnecessary restrictions that single out abortion and impede access. It would be a firewall for us. It basically brings to life the question that Kamala Harris asked as a senator when she asked, can you name a single law that dictates to men what they can do with their bodies? Yeah. And if you're right. hearing crickets chirping right now, it's, crickets. it's it's for that reason. So, so Kristen, we, we really appreciate your perspective on this from a medical standpoint. And as we wrap things up for this week, I want to get back to where we started, which was some of our summer plans and moving beyond. Did you really say you, you biked a hundred miles, hundred miles at once or like in a day or what, what, what is this biking a hundred miles? Does, I did it on, sa- uh, on Saturday, just this last Saturday, up in uh, Door County. There was a wonderful oh, event there. Oh, just this last Saturday, I, rode it on my- I biked 100 miles. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I it thought that awesome. was like over two weeks. I thought you were logging that in <laughs> like a Kirk, normal person. Kirk has logged 100 miles on a bicycle since the Carter administration. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was my well, tricycle. Come on, I'm not that old. <laughs> they were dangling some Aqua Brewing Company beer at the end of the ride, so I had to okay. keep going. Oh, well, <laughs> there we go. And, and Kirk, we, we only have about 30 seconds. We didn't get into much from Monaco Brewing, but Sarah Yakub's going to be here next week. Uh, we'll talk more about things then. But I, I imagine just, you know, the 10-second the version is that it's been a, a good summer for the brewing company in the Super Pack. We're selling beer. Uh, we're getting into Illinois. Um, you know, the more beer that people buy, the more shows we can put on like this and the more we can help school boards not have nut jobs in them in northern Wisconsin. Well, we, yeah, from, from your lips to God's ear. Kristen, thank you again so much. Kirk, thank you again. That's our show for this week. We thank you for joining us at the cabin. Say goodnight, Kirk. Good night, Kirk.
I mean, I mean, good night, everyone. We'll see you next time. Good night. Let me die.